Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, again, good to be with you guys this morning. Um, if you have a Bible and want to, go ahead and turn with us to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, to so that passage we just read. Revelation chapter 21. Like I said earlier, if we had not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new uh, to our church family, what we generally like to do during this portion of each Sunday uh, is just spend some time in the scriptures, open them up, see what they have to say, talk about what they mean, how to understand them, uh, and, and see ultimately what they have to say about God what they have to say about us and what they have to say about reality in general. That's really our heart uh, here at City Church. Uh, Sometimes we do that on Sundays by walking through entire books of the Bible. So we just got done doing that for a while with the Gospel of Matthew. Sometimes we just walk straight through a book. And then sometimes we kind of look at a lot of different passages that all hit on a similar theme or a similar topic. And so today we're going to do that latter version of it. We're going to be in a few different passages but we will at least start in that passage that you just heard read from Revelation chapter 21. Uh, If you are new or if you missed last Sunday or if you're just getting back into town for the start of the school year, we kicked off a series last Sunday called In Knoxville As It Is In Heaven. And the big idea was that last week what we talked about was as cool as it is, that we as followers of Jesus will get to go to heaven to be with Jesus one day in the future when we die, that's not actually the primary focus of the Bible. That's not the thing that it's most interested in when it comes to heaven. The primary focus in the Bible is actually God's desire to bring heaven to earth. He's much more interested in that, which is why Jesus tells his disciples at one point in the famous Lord's Prayer that you have probably heard prayed at a high school football game or two. He tells his disciples to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's one of the primary things we're called to pray for as followers of Jesus. The story of the Bible is actually a story about how God is bringing more and more of the realities of heaven down to earth. That's what we're supposed to zero in on when we read the Bible from cover to cover and how one day he will do that fully and completely for the world. And so the rest of this series, everything we're going to talk about for the next five weeks is how God wants us as followers of Jesus to participate in that reality and bringing more and more of the culture and the customs and the value system of heaven down to earth. So we're going to spend the next five weeks unpacking a number of different ways that we join God in doing that. But the way that we're going to do that is that each week we're going to look at one aspect of what heaven or what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like, and then we're going to talk about how we practice for that future reality now. Does that make sense? So we're sort of like reverse engineering our life with Jesus. We're going to look at what life one day will be like in the future and letting that guide our lives in the here and now. 
So that's what we're going to do today, starting in the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, is a book that talks largely about the future of planet Earth, what life will be like one day in the future when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Uh, A lot of people, I think, assume that the book of Revelation is just pure crazy from beginning to end, and that's because a lot of Christians and Christian traditions have said crazy things from the book of Revelation. But believe it or not, this book is actually filled with some incredibly hopeful images and imagery about what life will be like one day for followers of Jesus. So we're going to look at one of those passages today. So pick it up with me, Revelation 21. We're going to focus in on verse 3 from the passage that we just read. It says this in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So among the many things that Revelation tells us about the state of the world, how the world one day will be, it tells us here that on that day, God will be with and dwell with human beings. When you read that verse, there's a lot of spatial language in it, right? So dwell, with, among, those are all spatial terms. They're getting at God's physical location among and with his people. And and what that idea is getting at is the idea of relational intimacy. The picture that we're given of the new heavens and the new earth is a picture of how we will one day experience perfect, unbroken, unhindered intimacy with God himself. One day there will not be times where God feels distant or feels far from us because his presence will be with us at all times completely. That's the reality that we're headed towards as God's people. And because that's the reality that we're headed towards, we learn to practice intimacy with God here in the present. Now, I do realize that maybe the word intimacy feels like a weird word for some people to talk about our relationship with God. Maybe when you think about the word intimacy, the last thing that comes to mind for you is a relationship with God. We tend to talk about intimacy more in terms of with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. And I think our society would probably have us believe that those are the only relationships where we can experience any type of relational intimacy with another person. But I would argue we were actually made for intimacy in our friendships with one another, too, at least on some level. Because intimacy is when another person knows the worst and most embarrassing parts of you, and it doesn't change their disposition towards you. That's intimacy. It's when someone has your back. It's when you feel like you can spend time around someone and just be you without fear of what the other person's going to think as a result of that. It's when you can just sit with someone and not feel like you have to fill up every spare moment of silence with some type of noise or conversation. It's when the other person sometimes seems to know you better than you know yourself. It's the first person that you call or text anytime something goes incredibly right or incredibly wrong in your life. All of those experiences, I think, describe intimacy. They describe relational intimacy with another person. And so this is actually the dynamic that we want in our closest friendships, not just in our romantic relationships. And the point that the scriptures are going to make over and over and over again is that it is possible for us to have that type of relational intimacy 
with God himself. So the more I tried to come up with a different word for what we're talking about this morning, the more I realized intimacy is actually the best word for it. Not to mention that some of the people that I know with the most vibrant, enviable relationships with God I've seen, they tend to describe it too as intimacy with God. So if you can just get past any odd connotations that that word might have in your mind, I really think that word best captures what we're digging into this morning. If you look up the word intimacy in a standard dictionary, you'll probably find something like this. Intimacy is a close familiarity or friendship, or we might say closeness with another person. Close familiarity or friendship. You see, when we talk about intimacy, we tend to use spatial language to talk about it, right? So we say, I'm really close with that person, or we have a very tight friendship. We have a really deep relationship with each other. We use the same type of language to talk about the lack of intimacy with somebody. We say that person feels distant, or we're not that close with one another, or our relationship is really shallow. We often use spatial language to talk about it, but of course, that that language is only metaphorical. We've all felt really distant from someone sitting right next to us or living in our house, and we've all felt really close to someone who is hundreds and hundreds of miles away. So when we talk about intimacy, we're not so much talking about our proximity to the other person. We're talking about how close they feel to us at an emotional level. We're talking about feeling close to someone, and it's much the same way with God. Us feeling close to or distant from God actually has very little to do with his location, right? God and his presence are everywhere. They're they're all around us. It has everything to do with our perception of his presence. Because of Jesus, the scriptures actually teach that we, you and I, as followers of Jesus, can experience a relational closeness with God via the Holy Spirit. That's actually possible for us to experience intimacy with God on a regular, everyday sort of basis. Too many people I know, including myself at times, we feel stuck in this place of interacting with God as if he's an idea, or as if he's a philosophy, or a way of life, or a belief system, and not as if he's a person that we can have friendship with. Many of you are here to start your first year, or one more year of college. And and I need you to hear that you will not make it through college with your faith intact if God is just an idea or a belief system to you. It won't work. You will actually need intimacy with God. You will actually need a vibrant, constant, intimate relationship with God. So I want to see if I can at least get us headed in the right direction towards that reality this morning. So I know when it comes to intimacy with God, probably a lot of us in the room would say we actually have that already. We feel like that's actually really strong in our day-to-day lives. A lot of people in the room would probably be honest and say that we don't have that, or at least we don't have it regularly, but wherever you're at on that spectrum, I want to see if we can press in for more and better this morning on how we experience intimacy with God. Does that sound good to you guys? Okay. Now, before we attempt that answer, before we attempt to answer the question, how can we experience intimacy with God, we do need to acknowledge something very important, and that's that there is no magic formula for intimacy with God. 
There's just not. I, I wish I could stand up here today and say, if you do X, Y, and Z, you will automatically, magically experience intimacy with God, but it just doesn't work that way. That's not how relationships work in general, even. But that said, I, I do think the scriptures give us some things that we can't have intimacy with God without. Some necessary ingredients, in other words. So think about it like this. Let's say that you want to make a cheeseburger, because of course you do, right? We all do. It's almost lunchtime. It's getting close. We all want to make a cheeseburger. Let's say you want to make a cheeseburger. In order to do that, you're going to need at least three things, right? You're going to need some type of meat, so preferably beef, but if you do the turkey burger thing or the impossible burger thing, whatever, whatever floats your boat, but you need some type of meat or something that represents meat in the burger, right? You need cheese, and then you need some type of bread. If you don't have those three things, you can't make a cheeseburger. Now, you can have all three of those things and still not have a cheeseburger, right? Because you still have to do something with all of those things, but at the same time, it's going to be pretty impossible to make that cheeseburger without some combination of those three things. I think it's actually similar. As it goes with cheeseburgers, so it goes with God, right? <laughs> I think it's similar when it comes to intimacy with God. Uh, there's no magic formula for it. There's nothing automatic about it, but there are some necessary ingredients, there are some things that you need, and if you don't have these things, you actually don't stand a shot at intimacy with God, but with these things, I think you do. So let's dive in and see what they are. I'm going to submit to you this morning from the scriptures that intimacy, intimacy with God is first established by trust, it's ignited by obedience, and it's deepened over time. It's established by trust, ignited by obedience, and deepened over time. Let's take each one of those in turn and talk a little bit about what we mean by them. First, intimacy is established by trust. So this one I think we see really clearly in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God, there's that spatial language again, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. So the reality is that you can't be relationally close to someone you don't trust, right? It just won't work. If you don't trust the other person, your walls are always going to be a little bit up. Your heart is always going to be a little bit guarded around them. And similarly, it is impossible to experience intimacy with God if you don't trust God in the first place. And, and I don't just mean trust him as in trust him for your salvation. I mean actually trust him. Like trust him like you would trust another human being. Hebrews just said if we want to draw near to God, if we want to experience relational closeness and intimacy with him, we need what it labels faith. In other words, we need a deep-seated trust in us that God exists and that it is a rewarding thing to pursue a relationship with him. Now, I say that realizing that trust, when it comes to God, may be a difficult ask for a lot of us. A lot of us feel like we have ample reasons, maybe even some really good reasons, to distrust God at a practical level. Maybe we feel like we have counted on God to come through for us in, in some sort of way before, and he just didn't come through. Maybe we feel like we have counted on him to, to protect us from something before, and he didn't. 
Maybe we feel like we have trusted people who claim to represent God to us, and those people have let us down or mistreated us. All of those things can do a number on our perceived level and ability to trust God. And let me just say, in many ways, I've been there. I've experienced moments like that, a lot of them. I I know how difficult it can be to trust God again after any number of those things have happened to you. So if I can, I, I would love to just offer you what has helped me personally in those moments. What has helped me in those moments where I feel like I'm struggling to trust God at a practical level is to reset myself on the things that God has promised and simultaneously let go of the things that he hasn't promised. I think at times in my life, I've set myself up really poorly by expecting God to meet expectations that I had for him rather than expecting him to fulfill promises that he has made. And those are often two very different things, right? Can we be honest and acknowledge those are often two very different things in our hearts? At times, I think I've wanted God to come through in ways that he did not promise to come through in. God never promised to provide everything that I want for my life. He promised to do everything that he wants for my life. At times, I've wanted God to protect me from negative circumstances, but God never promised to protect me from negative circumstances. He promised to be an ever-present help in the midst of those circumstances. At times, I've expected people who belong to Jesus to perfectly represent God to me in every single way. But God never promised that either. In fact, on several occasions, he promised how imperfectly his people would represent him. He also said it on a number of occasions that some people who claim to represent him don't actually represent him. And so, of course, they're going to do a poor job at representing who he is. God's promise to us was simply that he would be perfect and he would be trustworthy even when people that we encounter are not. That's the promise. So I think it's worth asking the question, when we struggle, for those of us that struggle to actively trust God in our day-to-day lives, I think it's worth asking, am I struggling to trust God because he has actually proven himself untrustworthy or because I've expected him to fulfill promises that he never made? And listen, even then, there may still be times where you feel disappointed or you feel let down in your relationship with God. That very well may happen. In fact, the psalmist in the Bible, the, the, author of the, the authors of the psalms seem to think that it would happen a lot. They regularly had that experience when it came to their relationship with God. But when that happened, when they were disappointed, when they were frustrated with God, do you know what they did? They actually expressed their frustration and disappointment to God as a form of trusting in him. Sometimes pouring out your raw emotion to God, positive and negative, is actually a way of teaching yourself to trust in him. Let me try to show you what I mean from Psalm 62.8. We'll put this up on the screen for you. Psalm 62.8 says it like this. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts To him, for God is our refuge. Now, quick Bible reading lesson when it comes to the Psalms. In Hebrew poetry like this, often the second line in a verse is a way of clarifying what the first line meant, right? So think about it in terms of like if I said, 
to you guys in this room, uh, prepare yourself for another Vols football season. We may not win many games. Let's just say I said that hypothetically to you in the room. The second line clarifies what I meant by the first line, right? The first line is prepare yourself. The second line says, the way I want you to prepare yourself is by acknowledging that we may not win many games. That's just the reality. I'm hoping I'm surprised, but I may not be, right? So that's kind of what's happening here. In Hebrew poetry, the second line clarifies what the first line meant. So here in Psalm 62.8, if we can put that back on, it's already on the screen. Way to go, guys. Way to go, tech guys. Um, in this verse, that means that pouring out our hearts to God, our, our pain, our disappointment, our frustration, pouring out those things to God, according to this verse, is actually an expression of our trust in him. That's how we do it. That's what it looks like to trust in God. Otherwise, why would we pour out our hearts to him? So all of that to say, if you struggle with the trust aspect of your relationship with God, it may be worth starting to take those things to God as a way of building and establishing that trust. Because intimacy at the end of the day is established by trust. Okay, second thing. Intimacy is also ignited by obedience. Intimacy is ignited by obedience. So once that foundation of trust is built in the relationship, intimacy then starts with obedience. This one we could get from quite a few places in the scriptures, but I think John 14 is particularly helpful. We'll put this one on screen. Jesus speaking says this, If you love me, keep my commands. And, meaning then, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. There's our spatial language again. To help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, in other words, the Holy Spirit, God's personal empowering presence, the world cannot accept him because it never, neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So follow Jesus' thought process there. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. In other words, obey the things that I've told you to obey. And, and when you do that, I will ask the Father. The Father will send the Spirit to be with you and live within you. That's the language, once again, of intimacy. Intimacy is ignited. It's initiated by obedience to God's commands. You cannot experience intimacy with God without obedience to God. Now, I'm aware as I say that, that obedience has to be somewhere on the top 10 list of least favorite words for the average American, right? But for followers of Jesus, there's really no way around this. Obeying Jesus is part and parcel of a meaningful relationship with him. As we align our lives with the things that Jesus says life is about, we grow in depth of relationship with him as a result. Intimacy is a result of obedience. Now, obviously, this does not mean perfect obedience. None of us have that. But it does mean you can't have intimacy with Jesus while you're walking in willing, knowing disobedience to him. So I think it's really easy to see this in how the Bible talks about prayer. So prayer, obviously, is one of the primary ways we experience intimacy with God. So let me ask you a trick question. I'm telling you it's a trick, so it's okay for me to ask it. Isn't that how that works? I'm pretty sure. Trick question. 
Does God always hear his people's prayer? You guys seem appropriately hesitant. Does God always hear his people's prayer? I I think our gut level reaction is to go, yeah, of course he does, right? God always hears his people's prayer. But if you walk through the scriptures, you'll actually notice there are quite a few things that we're told actually prevent God from hearing his people pray, inclining him not to listen to his people's prayer. So a few examples, unforgiveness makes God not hear our prayers. When we're harboring resentment and bitterness towards another person and refusing to forgive, God may not hear our prayers. First uh, Peter tells us if you are harsh towards your spouse, he won't hear your prayer. If you are holding on to unrepentant sin or knowingly participating in injustice, he may not hear your prayer. That's from the book of Amos in the Bible. God does not always hear prayers from people who claim to follow him and yet are knowingly disobeying him. And maybe to you that feels petty or spiteful that God would interact with people that way. But I think if you just step back and look at it objectively, this is just how relationships work. I mean, think about it this way. If if you were really good friends with somebody and and that person did something knowingly that hurt you tremendously, and and then the next day they called you up and they were like, hey, do you want to hang out? And they just wanted to shoot the breeze and just talk about anything else. How would you respond to that? I think you would say, "Uh, no, I I would like to talk to you about the thing that happened yesterday (laughs) and then we can hang out. But I have no interest in just hanging out with you and pretend like that didn't all happen yesterday. Okay, similarly, with God, the biblical understanding is that every sin is a sin against God. When you create the entire world and you create the world to function in a certain way, anything that people do to break and corrupt that good design is a personal offense to you. When we are actively sinning against God and we just want to talk to him like it's not a thing at all, God correctly says, yes, I would like to talk with you. I would like to talk to you about one thing specifically, and then we can talk about other stuff, right? This is how a healthy relationship works, because obedience is a necessary ingredient to intimacy with God. So if you're here this morning and you would say right now at this moment, you feel distant from God. I think I'd say a couple things, practically speaking. One, sometimes a relationship with God just feels that way. Sometimes we just feel distant from him. And sometimes there's not a specific thing that we're doing wrong. It, just, it is just that we live in a fallen world where we don't get to experience the fullness of God's presence on a regular basis 24-7. But second, that said, I do think it's at least worth asking if you feel distant from God, if there is any legitimate reason that he feels distant from you. If maybe he feels distant from you because we have boxed him out from the one area of our life that he most wants to press in on. So second, intimacy is ignited by obedience. Last one, and then we'll be done. Intimacy is lastly deepened over time. Deepened over time. Intimacy with God is deepened as we invest more and more time and effort and energy 
into our relationship with him. Simply put, there is no microwaving meaningful relationship with Jesus. It can't be microwaved. Galatians 6, verses 6 through 8 says it like this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So that passage just compared a relationship with Jesus to sowing, as in sowing seeds into the soil and waiting on them to grow. So we're talking about gardening here, in other words. Think about what gardening involves from you. Gardening is a time-intensive process, is it not? If you do not have time or patience, I would not recommend selecting garden, gardening as a hobby. It's just not, it's not for you. Maybe one day, like maybe when you retire or something, maybe that's, that's when it'll be for you, but it's not for you right now if you do not have time and patience. And yet, that is the metaphor that Paul uses to describe a relationship with God. You ever thought about that? Sometimes intimacy with God looks like enduring and doing the same things over and over and over again and then waiting to see it bear fruit as a result. To put it another way, do not underestimate the power of repetition in the Christian life. Do not underestimate the power of repetition. Every new year here at City Church, in every single January, we do a series called Formation, which, believe it or not, is not actually named after the Beyonce song. It, a lot of people think it is because, you know, we're big Beyonce fans around here, but it's not. <laughs> it's actually about the idea of spiritual formation, right? It's, it's about the idea that practicing the same thing, spiritual practices like reading the Bible, like praying, like fasting, all of these things, that doing the same thing over and over and over again forms and transforms your relationship with Jesus. It is by far the least sexy thing to tell a room of people about how a relationship with God works. But according to the scriptures, that is often how it works. A lot of the time, feeling close to God, relational closeness with God, has to do with your willingness to, in the words of Galatians 6, sow and not give up. Sometimes growing in intimacy with God looks like putting in consistent time over long amounts of time to develop that relational closeness with him. And again, this is just how relationships work, right? Generally speaking, you do not meet a person for the first time one day and say, hey, I'd really like to have a deep, meaningful, long-term friendship with you, and then wake up a week later and it's already happened. It's just not how relationships work, and certainly not close relationships, right? Relationships, at least quality ones, take time. They take effort. They take energy. And generally, they require making time with that person a priority on your schedule on a regular basis. Sometimes we like to talk about the difference between quality time and quantity time. You ever heard people make this distinction? We talk about how there's a difference between quality and quantity time. And there is indeed a difference between the two. But I would also submit to you that there is also a connection between the two. Quality time happens inside of quantity time. If you want a deep relationship with someone, you are going to have to make being around them a priority in your time and in your schedule. 
Quality time is generated by quantity time. If you don't believe me, try rushing all of your time with people you care about and see how that goes for the relationship. So just say, hey, I've got three minutes in between meetings. I'd love to get in three minutes of like meaningful conversation and eye contact with you. Go. Doesn't really work like that. To experience quality time and closeness with another person, you actually have to put in a good bit of quantity time. And if you want to experience relational intimacy with Jesus, it will require putting in some time. It will require making time with him a regular, frequent, prioritized reality in your schedule on a regular basis. I think it's easy for some of us, I think especially maybe my generation and younger, I think it's easy for us to look at previous generations of followers of Jesus that have come before us who have prioritized what they call uh, quiet times or devotions in the morning and and think that that's somehow old-fashioned or that it's legalistic or unnecessary or any of those. But do you know why most of them do that? Because they know that quality time happens inside of quantity time. They know that if they want a vibrant, intimate relationship with the God of the universe, it was going to require putting in some time to develop that relationship with him. So, so I think the same is true with us. If we want to experience intimacy with God, there's just no way around it. We're going to have to make it a priority in our schedule. That's just the way relationships work. So in summary, I think intimacy with God is established by trust, it's ignited by obedience, and it's deepened over time. Like we already said, those are not a magic formula at all. Those three things do not automatically or necessarily lead to intimacy. But growing in those three things will absolutely help point us in the right direction if we want to experience relational closeness and intimacy with God. So we'll just wrap up here for this morning. Um, There may be some of us in the room that hear all of that and think, wow, it kind of seems like a relationship with Jesus is a lot of work. Kind of feels like it requires a lot of effort. I don't know if that's what I signed up for. I don't know if that's what I want. And there's truth to that. Intimacy with God, just like intimacy in any other relationship that there is, does indeed take some work. It absolutely does. I don't know of any meaningful, long-term relationship that I've had that didn't require some effort on my part. But I would also call your attention, most importantly, to the fact that Jesus has already done the heavy lifting on this one. Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has already laid the foundation that makes intimacy with God possible. The biggest barrier to you experiencing relational closeness with the God of the universe is your sin, and your sin has been dealt with once and for all on the cross. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting here. It has been addressed in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Your sin has been torn down and taken care of and nailed to the cross and left there once and for all. So the only thing that is asked of us in a relationship with Jesus is to firmly plant our feet on that foundation and to build intimacy upon it. That's what we're going for as followers of Jesus. I I so badly 
don't want our church to be a place that sees God as a belief system or as a philosophy. I don't think that's ultimately what gets people in our city what they need. I don't think that's ultimately what gets us what we need. I think what we need is actually a friendship with God. The scriptures tell us that we know Jesus calls us a friend because he laid down his life for us. What greater love has a man than that he would lay down his life for his friends? And Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friends. Friendship with God is possible. Intimacy with God is possible. The ask is, are we willing to pursue it? Do we see the value in it to be able to put in the work and experience intimacy as a result? I'd love to pray for you to that end. Father, thanks so much um, for your goodness and your grace. God, thank you that um, you sent your son, Jesus, um, to seek and to save, to deal with the main thing that was keeping us from a relationship with you. God, thank you that we have no proving left to do when it comes to knowing and loving you. God, thank you that you give us the possibility at intimacy with you as a gift. That's something we get to experience with the God of the universe. And so God, I I just pray that this morning we wouldn't miss that. God, that we wouldn't make... um, church a hobby, something that we do to to go and be semi-spiritual for an hour a week. God, ultimately, that's not worth it and it won't last. But God, we pray that your kingdom, that your way of life that your goodness, that your grace, that your compassion, that your promises would infiltrate every single corner of our lives. And God, that by responding to that in faith and trust, that we would get to experience intimacy with you, that we would see you as a person that we can have a friendship with, that that friendship would be enough to get us through the day-to-day ups and downs of life, everything that we're going to encounter this semester, this year. God, what we want is you. We want relationship with you. And so, God, whatever walls we put up, whatever hesitancies we have, whatever distrust is in our souls, God, we pray that this morning the Holy Spirit would just break through all of those. Maybe in an instant, maybe over months and years, but God, we pray that he would break in. That he would show us who you are. 
what you want for our lives. God, we ask that you would help us. That you would show us who you are. Amen.